I am very excited to be here for the final ISM of 2022. This is our last rally, and then we are into 2023, the next time that we will be rallying in this form together. So, that's exciting. So, we are also in the last week of our Christological series. We are in week four. Um, how was how was Jake and Josh? Great. Good. I know. It was great. Yep, good to see them out there. A little bit of a throwback for me. Because when I started as a volunteer, like, 11, 12 years ago, John was the pastor, and then he was back here, and he was preaching, but I was, it was fun, but, yeah, they did great talking through Zacchaeus, talking through so much good in the last couple weeks, and so I am very excited to be bringing the last one, and I am especially excited because this is the topic that I love talking about above anything else. And sometimes that can be weird to say, but we are talking about the death of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. So we've been going through this series and we've been talking about what we can learn from the life of Jesus. The 33 years that he lived on earth, physically Walked. And of course, we're heading into Christmas. We talked about five weeks ago the birth of Christ and the, and the crazy, mind bending occurrence that that is that the infinite God broke time and space to become a finite baby and live among us, become one with us as Emmanuel. And then we shared how God connects with us, with Jake, and, and each story of, of just what it is, who it is that God is, God's character that he has, and then how we can respond to that. And then John shared how we can connect, pursue, as Zacchaeus did, God. And all of that, all of this, all of the Bible, Everything leading up to this point is pointing to this moment. Everything since then is pointing back to this moment. So if we pick up in the story of Jesus, and I want to specifically share about uh, what are known as the seven last sayings of Jesus. Uh, throughout the Gospels, each of the four Gospels, there are seven sayings that Jesus says while he is on the cross. Each of them have incredible power and meaning for our lives and for what he was doing at that time. So, but as, as, a, as a second part or a third part episode of a TV show might do, Previously, the, the story leading up to God, Christ on the cross, we're looking at Jesus, and he has, he has had his ministry. He's had three years with 12 disciples 
teaching, performing miracles, living in and amongst his people. And it comes to this time where he's been making his way to Jerusalem, and he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey, which shatters all kinds of, of things, and then he enters in, and he is, one week later, he is betrayed first. One of his 12 closest friends betrays him for 30 shekels of silver, 30 pieces of silver, and he is betrayed. And then when he is arrested, each one of the others of those friends, all but one, abandon him, flee, leaving. And he comes to court, and he is convicted despite no evidence against his crime. And so he is beaten. He is scourged, as some of the verses say. And that, is, that was a brutal, brutal thing. The whips that were used would tear flesh from bone. And they would whip through. And the, the, the Romans prided themselves for being perfect at, at bringing someone as close to death as they could without dying. They prided themselves on it. So these sorts of things is what he did. And their, their greatest example of this, their greatest creation of this, was crucifixion. One of the most brutal creations of any human, any, any of all humanity, to die. As you were brought to a cross, your wrists and your hand or your feet pierced with massive stakes. And as you hung, you couldn't breathe. And that's why these moments are so important. The thing about crucifixion is you die by choking. You die by asphyxiation. Not the blood loss, not breaking, anything like that. You die because you can't breathe. Because you're hanging like this. And you can't get breath. And every time that you need to get breath, the only way to get breath is to push yourself up. There's only two ways to push yourself up. That's either you use your legs and you push on the rail in the, in the, in the seat, or you pull yourself up by the nails in your hands. And so seven times our Savior speaks from this position, from this place, seven things that he needed us to hear. So that's where we pick up. Our Savior, our God, the one that was born, the God who came down, the one who lived, hangs on the cross. And the first thing that he says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looks down on the individuals, the Romans and the Jews, that have nailed him to this cross. That are, uh, within this story, within Luke, they are literally casting lots 
They are literally gambling on who gets his clothes at the end. Which, by the way, is a fulfillment of Scripture. And he stands here, he hangs here, and he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And this, this statement has always rung in, has rung in my head for a long time because there was a song when I was very, very young, way back in the 90s, <laughs> um, you know, back in the 1900s, and there was a song called The Hammer, and it was one of those, way back in the 90s, there was this, there was this trend where Christian songs were like this kind of weird change of, change of point of view stories. And this one in particular told the story of this man, and he's staring, and he's looking up at Jesus at the cross. And he sees him hanging there. He's like, I know Jesus. I've seen him. I've seen what he's done. And he stands up, and he says, who did this? Who nailed him there? This is a good man. This man has done good. Who has done this? And then the song goes, and then I turned and saw the hammer in my hand. Here's the realization. This is the first point from this realization. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. We are sinners. We nailed him there. We are the reason he is on that cross. We have sinned and that sin needs a Savior because we can't save ourselves. We are sinners, and as he hangs, he reminds us. He forgives. He forgives. He hangs on that cross, and we realize as, as all of this has been leading up, and all of this is Scripture. Each of these seven words are Scripture, are found elsewhere in Scripture. In Jesus' last moments, Scripture is what is on his mind, the fulfillment of the Word of God. And he cries out to his Father, to his Father who has put him there, who they chose to go there. He cries out to them, Father, forgive them. He cries out when you stand at the foot of the cross holding the hammer. When I stand at the foot of the cross holding the hammer that nailed him there. And his first words are, forgive them. Forgiveness. This is what we can take from this word. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. We hear these words echo out and realize the weight of our sin and the need for someone else to be the one who saves us. Because we can't do it on our own. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. 
figure that out. We need a Savior. And as he hangs, he's hanging between two others. Two other criminals have been crucified with him that day. And each of them is having a different response, a different reaction to Christ. There's a mocking from one joined in with many on the, on the ground around him. And there's a mocking from one, and they, they cry out and they shout out, if you are the Son of Man, take yourself down from there. You should have the power. Come down. Show off. Do it. Prove your point. Be who you say you are or who we think you say you are. And then the other one, the one on the other side, on death's door, suffocating, dying, in just the same way that he is. And he says to him, Lord, remember me. He sees Jesus. He knows what Jesus has done. And he says, Lord, remember me. In his last moment. And with the second phrase, once again in Luke, we see as he lifts up and says to that man, Amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Grace in his final moments. Forgiveness at the last moment. I see two things in this moment, in this, in this time. There is, first, there seems to always be a question in our minds when it comes to following Jesus. And it's, it's in two different forms. I think one form is, I'm too far. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. If only you knew. If only you understood. If only he knew me, there's no way he would have died for me. This was very, I, I, I would venture to guess, and this is Ben's sanctified imagination, that this man on the cross had heard Jesus speak before had heard of Jesus before, knew about Jesus, had heard from him and refused. Clearly, whatever life he had chosen was not a good one because he ended up on a cross. And so he, he lived his life thinking, well, that's not for me. I, that's not for me. And so, at that last moment, he sees and he hears, he realizes who Jesus is. In the very last moment, he realizes there's no such thing as too far, as too broken, as too lost, 
as to God. And so he cries out to him with all he can do. No actions. He doesn't have to prove his faith. He just stands, hangs at that point and says, remember me, Jesus. I see who you are. I see what you can do. Please just remember me. When we feel we're too far gone, there is no point, there's no moment that you cross that threshold where the same Jesus can't look to you and say, Surely you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. Satan, forgiveness comes, salvation comes at any moment, at any time. But the other side of it, and I think we see this a fair bit in the other thief, the other criminal on the cross. And that is when we hear the story of the person who converts at the last moment. We hear that story and we think, well, he lived the life that he wanted to for blank years, and then at the last minute he gets into heaven, and I've had to live for some reason, we have this idea in our heads, and it's very common in the church, that we don't get the fun. They have more fun. We don't get to do all the good things. They get the better things. If he got to do all the good things, and then he gets the reward at the end. That's not fair. Or, we're so worried, like those who are standing at the foot of the cross, we want our way to be the way that that is seen. We want our point, our voice, to be the one that's heard. God, I want you to hear me. But here's the reality. This, the ones who needed their point across, the ones who chose from their point, from their place of what they thought was power, where they would shout, from out from where they were. They could shout out whatever they wanted. Show your power. I'm right. You're wrong. My point is what's important. All the way to the one who took the last moment. This death was for all of us. One may choose. One may not. But the death is for all. Is there a point in your life? The others shouted. The others cried out in this moment that was immensely strong, immensely powerful. Is there something, is there grace that you're missing because you need your point to be heard? Is there something about the way that you see life, live life, tackle the world, believe with all your heart, with all your soul about one thing? And that is the thing that everyone around you must know. 
to be a Christian. You're not a Christian unless. You're not a good person unless. We're not talking about good and bad people. Everyone here is the sinner in need of the Savior. Everyone here needs the Savior. Where is the grace instead of the point? Where is the grace instead of being righteous? And so we hear this from God. As he says this to the man, he says this to me, to you. I can always receive and give forgiveness. I can always receive and give forgiveness. And then the third, as he hangs, he looks down, and as all these are yelling and screaming at him and shouting these terrible things, he sees familiar faces. He looks down and sees the face of his closest friend, John. Of his mother, standing at the foot of the cross. And as he looks down at each of them, he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In in ancient Israel culture, it was very common in someone's death for another family member or close friend to care for the rest of the family when they're gone. There is actually some belief, there's some uh, things recently that believe that actually John was Jesus' cousin not proven necessarily, but it would be a very common thing of seeing the family member and passing it on. But this is not a, this is not just, there is some love love, but it's not a, it's not a, 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 a transaction. This is not Jesus doing this kind of thing. He looks down at two of the people that are closest to him, and his first thought is to care for them. And his second thought is the reality that is about to occur because of this moment, because of his death, the reality of a new family that is being made. A family adopted by his blood into this. His thought at, at this point of suffering, at this point of excruciation, he looks down and his thought is care. To care for us. To have care for us. And to say, wherever you go, wherever you've come from, family has been given to you. You are not just saved. You are accepted. You belong. 
He looked down and he said to us, to me, I am beloved and I belong. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are beloved and you belong. So we come to the fourth. And this one is tricky in some ways. He stands, and we see it in Matthew and in Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or as, as they actually say, they actually say it in the Aramaic, quoted, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. As he cries out. First and foremost, this, as the others have been, is Scripture fulfillment. He's actually quoting a psalm right now. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is Psalm 22. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you want some homework, go home this week and read the entirety of Psalm 22. Because it's a very interesting thing. Jesus, probably probably explainably, considering how struggling he was for air, only says this part. However, David makes a shift partway through this song. This is a crying out. He's, he's, he's crying out in despair, in absolute agony that God has forsaken him. And then David makes a shift about halfway through, and he ends the psalm with this. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. This is the word that Jesus is connecting to when He says this word. But Jesus stays in the despair part and lets us Remember and go to the grace part. This is the reality of what is happening in this moment. This is the reality. Jesus was forsaken, was abandoned, was left behind, was alone entirely. In this moment. This is the moment when the wrath, the cup of wrath that the Bible speaks of is poured out. This is the moment. It's called the the penal substitution is the legal term. This is a debt is owed and must be paid. And this is Jesus paying the debt. This is the moment where, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the moment 
as he hangs. When he becomes sin, and sin holds no place in the eyes of God. And so God turns to it, a wrath that has been held back for millennia. For thousands of years, coupled as an eternal God with the wrath for every sin that will be committed. Every single consequence, every single payment that must be made for the sin of his people. And he looks at his son, and that is where his wrath goes. He forsakes his son so that we are never forsaken. He pours out complete wrath, just wrath, true justice upon his son in this moment. Jesus experienced the complete and utter removal of God from himself. How did that work in the Trinity? Ask him when you get to heaven. Because he did it so you can. As I was preparing for this, I read this too, this comfort. What is separation from family and betrayal or denial by friends in comparison to that? That timeless moment of nothingness when God's Son is deserted by God. When you stand in this world in despair, forsaken, abandoned, left behind, alone, who understands that more utterly, completely, and totally than your Savior? Who stands with you saying, I have felt that. I have felt that for you. So you may have the hope that I did not. Full and complete. He says to us with this, we hear from this. My sin is paid for once and for all so that there is nothing that can separate me from God. Every possible separation was poured out on Jesus in this moment so that we can't be separated. I thirst is the next. He simply says, I am thirsty. The, the, everything around this, surrounding this, is very interesting. In, in John, it says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. 
and a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. This is, as, Jesus, as John himself says, Jesus knew this was once again a fulfilling of prophecy, a fulfilling of Scripture. Psalm 69, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. But there's something very interesting about this. First of all, we hear this is the humanity. This is one of the ways that we know God died as a human. Jesus died as a human. He thirsted. He felt. This was not any part. This was a human who experienced human struggle, pain, thirst, all of it. But there's a very interesting thing in this line as well, and that is the stalk of the hyssop plant. So I don't know if you guys recognize that name, but way back, in Exodus 12, in the Passover feast, where the people were in Egypt, and the ten plagues, nine of the ten plagues had occurred, and the tenth one was coming, the death of the firstborn, the death of the child. And the angel of death is coming on Egypt, and Moses tells the people, slay a lamb, and with a hyssop branch, spread the blood across your doorframe, so that the angel of death may pass over you. Jesus is not just fulfilling this human, this human thing and the scripture thing. He is also showing that he is the Passover lamb. When all across the most powerful place on earth at the time, Egypt, was decimated and destroyed in one night, and children and firstborns killed, the people of God were saved by the hyssop branch applied blood. And so he shows us this has been the plan from the beginning. He's been come, we've been coming to this for thousands and thousands of years and that the human and God are here to save. And so we hear from this, I am saved body, and soul by God and by the human who died to remain. And this one is, this is the one that has stuck with me for most of my life. If I ever had the courage to get a tattoo, it would be my tattoo. <laughs> John 19, 30, it is Here's what this means. As he hangs on the cross, he has said each, he has received the wrath. And he looks out, he looks down, 
And he just says, done. What does that mean? It means he planned this. He meant this. You don't finish something that you don't start. If he hadn't started something, there would be nothing to finish. So all of human history, from the moment of the fall, even before, the plan was leading here. And he says, okay, that plan is done. That plan was, that plan is, Jesus' death in substitution for his people. The Greek word is tetelestai. It's just one word. It is finished. It's one word. Tetelestai. And this is the other side of this. The plan was completed. Everything was leading to this moment. But also, everything that holds in your mind as a possible separation from God, it is finished. Every sin you have committed, every lie you have listened to, every single thing in your life that could possibly be used as a separating factor from God our Savior. It is finished. Your struggle that you can't seem to get over, the life in your world that just doesn't make sense, the brokenness in your world that is not making sense is broken and broken again. It is finished. This moment from here to eternity can be spoke over your life. It is finished. Sin's grip on you, it is finished. The lie that has held you down, it is finished. Your life is saved, renewed, and made entirely new. The old is gone and the new is come because of this moment. Because it is finished. Done. Not maybe it'll come back. Victory is yours. Right now, and forever. You are free. I am free from the wrath of God. And God planned to save me. And he says one final thing. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit betrayed, and then he died. Again, a direct quote from Psalm 31. He commits his spirit. The Lord, God of the universe, 
the Son sent to us died. Ended his life. The heart stopped. The breathing ended. They stab as they, as they go to, to check if he's dead. They stab him in the chest with a spear. And blood and water flows out. This is evidence that his heart had stopped. God's death on the cross was not from suffocation from crucifixion. It was from a broken heart. He took all that we had to throw at him and said, I will love more. It is finished, and I'm done. And so he commits his spirit to the Lord. He also, in this moment, gives us the example. Commit your spirit. This is what he asks of us. To commit our spirit to him. And there's one more phrase that I want to say. This one was not said by Jesus. But three days later, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. It was an old, old, old uh, uh, spoken word from a number of years ago that said it this way. At the, rec- at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. All of this that we've talked about, every moment on the cross is literally worthless without this moment. And with this moment, every promise, every single thing is backed up by the actions that show that he is victorious over every possible thing that could stand against us. This is the proof that those things worked. That the plan worked. This is the evidence that you have received these gifts should you desire them. This is offered to you freely, completely open. This truth is offered to you. And so, if you are willing, if you wish, I know many have, many have not, who knows? I don't claim to know. But should you wish to accept 
this. I have a prayer that I want to close with tonight. And you are welcome to pray this prayer with me. For the first time, for some of you, you may have prayed something like this before. But if you feel led, pray this with me. As we close. Lord Jesus, for too long, I have kept you out of my life. I know that I am a sinner and that I cannot save myself. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I am ready to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. Amen. For those of you who may have prayed that either anew or for the first time, I would love to celebrate with you. Because the the receiving of this gift, the movement that this is in your life, the change that it can be, is bigger than everything else, anything else I could possibly talk about up here. Anything else you could possibly go into. And we are here as the body of Christ to celebrate, first and foremost, those who enter the fold. So I would love if any of you prayed that prayer for the first time or what you feel like was the first time to raise your hand. This is not judgment, this is celebration. And I know many of us here, that means a lot. For any where that did something, where that shifted, let's talk about it in life group. Let's get into life group and let's talk about it. If God has not changed you, you have not met God. Jesus changes. Because this message that he says to us is bigger than anything else we can come across or anything else we've ever seen or will ever hear. So let's talk about it. Let's celebrate it. And let's remember the power that occurred on this day that we celebrate on Good Friday, that we celebrate on Easter, but we remember and we live our lives out of every day.